Up next, Rob Smith is problematic. Part of the Gingrich 360 Network. The LGBTQ community isn't a movement. It's a cult. This is Rob Smith is Problematic. Gays and lesbians have always been a part of American society. Since the, the 70s, the 60s, we've got the, the Stonewall Rebellion. Gays and lesbians have always been a part of American society. In the 70s, 80s, 90s, gays and lesbians were fighting very hard for some very basic things. And actually, even right up to, to five years ago, gays and lesbians were fighting for some very basic things. They fought for AIDS drugs. They fought to be recognized for the AIDS pandemic. They, they fought for people to basically stop dying in the streets because we weren't getting the attention that we needed because we were being decimated by the AIDS crisis. That was in the 80s. And before that, in the 70s, we were just fighting to basically be able to congregate in public spaces together. I think that sometimes people don't realize that, that we were just fighting to be able to go to a bar and have a cocktail with another gay guy, right? So this was what was going on in the 70s. And you have the AIDS thing is in the 80s and in, in the 90s. And a lot of that stuff shifted into being able to serve openly in the military. And then gay marriage, which was kind of on the back burner. Marriage equality was on the back burner of all these different fights that we had as gays and lesbians in America. And something happened within the past 10 years. We got those things. Marriage equality has been the law of the land for at least the past five years. Gays and lesbians can serve openly in the military and have been able to for going on a decade now. And that is how I came into the gay rights movement. Whatever that was before, it became this cult of LGBTQ. I came in the gay rights movement as somebody that had served honorably in the military. I served for five years. It's one of the greatest experiences of my life. And I had always internalized this idea that somehow my service was less than just because I was gay. And just because I served in the Don't Ask, Don't Tell era military. So I was not able to be openly gay. If I was openly gay in that point in time, if I had told a chaplain, if I had told anybody else, I would have been kicked out. No college, no benefits, no service, no nothing. So that is what would have happened in the days that I served. And when I got out and went to college and, and moved to New York City and I, and I saw these people advocating for this movement to allow gays and lesbians to serve in the military, I wanted to be a part of it because I knew that it was wrong to not have open service by gays and lesbians in the military. Because why should you deny a segment of the population the opportunity to serve their country? And I think that that was one of those things that made me feel like my service was less than and made some gays and lesbians feel less a part of America as we should be. So I fought for Don't Ask, Don't Tell Repeal. I said, I'm a gay man who served for five years. My service is valuable. My service is valid. Gave speeches, lectures, went to Capitol Hill, did all that stuff. And then something happened. Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed. So now gay and lesbian soldiers could serve openly. Met President Obama, shook his hand. We can shake. That's known. It is Washington lore that former President Obama has one of the weakest handshakes you'll, you'll ever experience in your life. It was, like a, it was like a dead fish. And also shaking the, the former president's hand, you, you, you know when somebody has never really worked with their hands before and never really done any hard work in their lives, his hands were just too soft. But anyway, so we got Don't Ask, Don't Tell repealed. And now we're getting to this point where Don't Ask, Don't Tell is repealed. 
and now you you're you're getting to the point where you have marriage equality. Marriage equality came in 2015, and something changed because now this LGBT community, as they like to call it, it became less about equality and more about leftism and far left stuff. I just started to become very curious about what was happening. Now it seemed to be that you had to be a Democrat if you were a gay person or a lesbian or somebody in the LGBT community because we were starting to get this narrative that conservatives were so evil, that Republicans were so evil. And this was revisionist history because everybody knows that, like on many things, Democrats were against it before they were for it. Joe Biden was on record multiple times saying that he didn't believe in gay marriage. He had even said that he thought that, quote unquote, homosexuals were security threats. That's a very real thing that Joe Biden said. But we're expected to believe as gays and lesbians that, oh, they didn't really mean it. They were just saying that for, for politics. But in all of these fundamental shifts in gay and lesbian equality, particularly Don't Ask, Don't Tell repeal, there were some Republicans that voted with, with Democrats. With the marriage equality thing, there were a lot of Republicans that supported for a very long time because who doesn't want to support unifying people in that way that I believe eliminates a lot of the the stuff that we're seeing coming from the far left LGBTQ because everything is about sex and child drag queens and all this other crazy stuff that I'm going to tell you about. And now that we have that equality, we have that thing that we have fought for for so long, now you have a movement that is bolstered by millions and millions and millions of dollars. And now these people want to secure the hearts and minds of gay and lesbian Americans in perpetuity. They want us to be tools of the left and nothing more. And that is when the LGBTQ started getting culty. Just how culty is the LGBTQ cult? They're coming for the kids. And I'm going to tell you how after the break. We started seeing things like this strong push for the transgender movement, the, the radical transgender ideology. Now, I get a lot of crap because there are a lot of people that think that I'm transphobic. I'm not transphobic at all. I, I believe that transgender Americans have the same rights to health, happiness, liberty, all of that stuff that, that any other Americans have. But in that particular movement, that particular part of the far-left LGBTQ, always seems to come at the expense of women and women's spaces. And that was something that I started noticing over and over and over again when you talk about this idea of women's spaces. When there are bathrooms that are changed to all gender restrooms, they're always changed from the women's restrooms, not, never, never from the men's, right? Only from the women. So I, I started to notice that. And I started to notice this idea that in order for women to, to stand up and speak out about this, they were deemed problematic. They were faced with excommunication from the left. This is, this is what they do. This is what happened to me. I was excommunicated from the LGBTQ cult when I decided to come out as conservative because there are now some things that are coded as conservative, like women's rights and, and their access to their spaces and all that stuff. These things are coded as conservative. And that is one of the two main fronts that I want to get into in the cult of LGBTQ today. The first 
main war that the LGBTQ cult is fighting is a war on women. And that is probably interesting to you to, to hear right now because the left has put themselves in the position where apparently they own women's rights. Apparently, they're the ones that are advocating for the rights of women. You, they, they talk a lot about the quote-unquote pee grabber in the White House. They, they wear the pussy hats. They talk about abortion on demand as if that is some fundamental right that every woman in, in America should have. And so they have owned the space when it comes to, quote-unquote, protecting women. But the most interesting thing about this is that the feminists on the left are aligned with the LGBTQ cult's war on women and their destruction of their spaces and their sports because they are afraid to be problematic. These women feminists on the left are afraid to stand up for the rights of women who were born women because they are afraid to be problematic and they are afraid to be excommunicated from the left. Now, the LGBTQ cult's war on women is about two, two main things. The first is an all-out assault on women's spaces. Because what the LGBTQ cult has done has said that if a woman, and we're not even talking about just grown adult women because this same thing has happened to teenage girls. So if a woman or a teenage girl says that they are uncomfortable with a transgender woman or girl in their same restroom or changing area or gym locker room or whatever, they are being called a bigot. They are being told to get over it. They are being told to shut up. They are, in essence, being silenced by the radical far-left LGBTQ cult and a lot of very prominent transgender women activists which I find completely fascinating. And the assault on women's spaces is something that I think is one of the more interesting and not really often discussed topics. Because what we have in this assault on women's spaces is that they have gone so far that they have even gotten the Democratic nominee for president, Joe Biden, to co-sign their assault on women's spaces. And I'm going to let you in on, on a little secret, and this is a secret only because the mainstream media covered for Joe Biden when this happened. And a lot of this stuff, I have an entire chapter in my book, Always a Soldier, called The Cult of LGBTQ. When Joe Biden did an LGBTQ town hall in Iowa, Joe Biden's response to a question about transgender women in women's prisons went viral. This is what Sleepy Joe said. This is literally what he said verbatim in response to a question because one now, there, there are so many different things going on, but there are so many in the far left LGBTQ that are fighting for the, the transgender, uh, the rights of transgender women to be everywhere that women are. And so this is what Sleepy Joe said when somebody asked him about transgender women in women's prisons. In prison. The determination should be that your sexual identity is defined as what you say it is, not what, in fact, the prison says it is. Right. So this is the party of science, people. So if the prison 
operating on biology is saying that this is biological male and this person says that they're a transgender female, they're a transgender woman, then the prison should just throw open the gates and let the transgender woman into the women's prisons. And they sacrifice the safety of the women that are already in those prisons in order to do so. And I know that because there are documented instances of transgender women going into women's prisons and raping the female inmates. This is something that actually does happen. There was a 52-year-old transgender woman named Karen White. This was across the pond. I believe this was in the UK. Raped two women before being sent to jail and admitted to raping a few more once she was in prison. And this person also had convictions for indecent assault, indecent exposure, and gross indecency involving children before she was sent to prison. And when I tell you that this is an assault on women's spaces, it is an assault on women's spaces because the women, the feminists on the far left who are so afraid to be problematic that they will not speak up for the most marginalized people in society. These are women that are, that are in these prisons that are going to be vulnerable to sexual assault. They will not speak up for these people because they are so afraid of being problematic. And they are so afraid of being excommunicated by the cult. And the cult and all of their minions in the mainstream media and their media arms at GLAAD and HRC and all that stuff have succeeded in making even these feminists on the left so afraid to say anything to defend their spaces that they just shut up about it. And so now this is yet another thing that becomes a concern. Oh, it's the scary conservatives. This is what we say. And so now we have to take that on as well. And conservatives have to take on common sense because common sense says that the rights of transgender women to live their lives and, and to be successful and, and have health and liberty and all that stuff that, that we all want for everybody as Americans does not burrow through the rights of women to their own spaces. And it's not just those physical spaces. It's not just the prisons. It's not just the, the restrooms. And, and that's another issue as well. But it's also an assault on women's sports. Because the party of science, again, the, the party of science, you know, it, it's just so crazy to me that they look us all in the face with a straight face and call themselves the party of science when they advocate for 300 genders and, and all of this stuff that I'm telling you about. But this assault on women's sports is probably one of the most devastating for the women that participate in it because you have transgender girls that are literally taking opportunities away from girls in sports. There was a very public high-profile case that came out of Connecticut. Now, this was a 16-year-old girl named uh, Selena Soul, and she had her spot taken by two transgender girls that decided that they wanted to run track. And these two transgender girls took first and second place in the 2019 Connecticut State Championships in girls track. And what happened was Selena, this girl, her spot was taken by these two transgender girls. Now, look, 
these are two, and, and if you go in and look at this, if you Google this, these two, there is no real indication that either of these two transgender girls that stole the spots from the girls on the track team, there's no evidence that they were on any kind of hormone therapies or anything like this. It was, I think one of them did an interview and they said, oh, I like to wear these pink fluffy Ugg boots and that's what makes me a girl. And so, and these girls smoked everybody else. And so this is one example. And the Selena spoke out. She said, this is not fair. She did a lot of media. Of course, of course, only conservative media and local news would cover her because the mainstream media hasn't quite yet figured out how to stop covering for these radical leftists yet in, in the cult of LGBTQ. They haven't figured out uh, when they're going to be free to stop covering for them. So they didn't cover this girl. And what happened eventually in the long run, you know, she's Selena ended up going to college. She's running in college now. And she took it all the way up to, to the state. And they found that this policy that the school had, that Connecticut high schools had to allow these transgender girls to compete against girls who were born girls, violated Title IX. And it said that if you continue to do this, federal funds could be withheld from some local school districts. And this comes from the U.S. Education Department. And so this is only one example of so many things that are going on across the country with this war on women that the far-left LGBTQ has. And this, I think, is, is going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back because eventually some brave feminist that is a liberal will stand up and say, this is not right because we did not fight for our rights as women and, and all this other stuff to just give them over to the LGBTQ cult. Very few people know as much about the LGBTQ cult as my next guest who escaped from the clutches of the LGBT left and is now a gay conservative freedom fighter on the right. He's got a lot of knowledge about how these people got so crazy and he'll share it with us after the break. We have been talking so much about the LGBTQ cult today. I wanted to speak to someone else that you may or may not have heard of, but this is a person that has a lot of perspective on the LGBTQ cult. As a matter of fact, I'm not even entirely sure if he thinks it's a cult. That's kind of what I want to figure out. I want to welcome journalist, activist extraordinaire, Chadwick Moore. How you doing, Chadwick? Hey, Rob. Good to be here. Great. Fantastic. So first of all, you know, of course, I know you are. For the people who don't know, Chadwick actually was, he is one of the ones that pioneered this idea of quote unquote coming out as a gay conservative. But Chadwick, tell the people your story and how you became this sort of gay conservative activist. Uh, sure. Well, I've, I, uh, I'm a journalist. I'm in media. I've always been in media. I was editor at large for Out Magazine and The Advocate, which are the two big gay magazines. And I was also their big features writer, their big investigative reporter. At the same time, I was writing for the New York Times, Playboy, a bunch of mainstream liberal publications. I began to see, it started a while ago uh, in a lot of things that I was reporting. I just began to see how much the media was lying about issues, about stories that I was actually on the ground covering and none of the other mainstream journalists were. And I began to see all this pressure from gay media, especially on how to report on things that I simply did not see were true. 
So I, let me g- give me one example of that in particular. What is something that you saw being reported that you just said, I am seeing something completely different from what the gay media is trying to, to force me to say? Sure. Uh, yeah, the biggest uh, incident was November 2013. That is when the ceiling really cracked for me. I mean, once you start to see how the media lies, then it's just a slippery slope, you know? And in November 2013, I went to Russia to write about the gay rights situation there ahead of the Soki Olympics. And the, it, was the, it was the big news story for about six months was basically like gay rights in Russia. Putin was getting ready to round up all the gays and throw them into concentration camps. And I went to report on it. I was only one of two Western journalists to actually be on the ground in Russia writing reporting on this. And uh, you can still find it. It was a cover story of The Advocate that year. And, you know, long story short, what I, I realized the, complica- the, the situation was so much more nuanced, so much more complicated. I learned so much about what was going on. I learned the story behind all of the photos that were being thrown up on the screen. You, there, if you recall, there are all these photos of people being bloodied with rainbow flags around them. Well, there are a lot. There are really interesting stories behind those photos. And back in in New York, you had all of these people and institutions that I had admired, like the New York Times and the New Yorker magazine and David Remnick and Masha Gessen, reporting from New York about what was happening in Russia, and they're getting it all wrong. And that was a real wake up call. That was my first big wake up moment to say, well, well, no, no, they're getting it all wrong. I've been there. Like, why are these people so flawed in their, in their research and what's happening here? What's this narrative? And then after that, I could never look at the media the same. You know, I was very naive before then. And, and I didn't really pay much, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't write about politics at all. I wrote about features and, and culture stories. But after that, it was sort of this domino effect of one thing after another that I began to see didn't make sense. Uh, but I mostly kept it to myself. I, 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 you know, around my friends, I would, but I wouldn't tweet about it. I wouldn't write about it. I just kept my politics to myself and uh, publicly and in terms of my professional career, because I uh, uh, naively believe that journalists are supposed to be try to be objective, uh, oh, which is, of course, Chadwick, not true. You're so old. I know. I know. I was so young and innocent. Uh Fast so you were forward. in the closet, basically. I your your politics had started to go the, right in you closeting. Right. Yourself. I've been openly gay since I was 15, openly conservative. I came out of the closet as a conservative in publicly in twenty early 2017, right after the inauguration. when I wrote Now, it. tell me about that. Right. What was, because you came on my radar, and this was, I had been conservative-leaning for a really long time, kind of like conservative-curious, but you came out, and you, you made a very big splash. So that was when you kind of came out on my radar. And what was the reaction? Because uh, I, I talked a lot of, in this episode about the LGBTQ cult, and and they claim to be so tolerant and inclusive, and, and we just love everybody. Did, did they show you a lot of love and tolerance and inclusivity <laughs> when you came out? Well, I think you already know the answer to that. I, I had a, Well, I, I was actually quite surprised because I, I wrote a piece for the New York Post uh, say, saying I'm a, gay, I, you know, I'm a gay New Yorker and I'm coming out conservative. I co- kind of coined the phrase coming out conservative. Uh, I honestly didn't think it would make that big of a splash. I just, it, it was a very innocent piece. I was just sort of saying, I, I don't hate the president. I stand up for free speech. I don't think the left stand, represents the, the things that I represent. And what happened was it went totally viral. I was fired from all my jobs, fired from out, fired from the advocate, lost all my friends, you know, all that stuff. Good riddance to all that. But, but then, of course, uh, a lot of the hate, I'd been getting a lot of hate for a while because throughout the 2016 election, I was becoming more publicly vocal and I was pushing back at people. Uh, when that story ran, I got so much love from the right. I was floored, you know, like thousands of emails and messages and 
welcome to the party and we love you. And and that's the crazy thing about this, because this is what the the cult does. The cult wants people to be so afraid of Republicans, so afraid of conservatives that the LGBTQ cult wants you to think that these people hate you, that whatever. When I came out as conservative a couple of years ago, a couple of years after you did, I felt the love coming from the right as well. I've, I've had very, very few issues with very virulent, hardcore homophobia here uh, on the right. Yeah, I think the worst thing someone said to me, and which isn't even that bad, which isn't bad at all, is uh, I don't agree with your lifestyle, but I love you and welcome to the family. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm like, great, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's hilarious because even this is something I'm writing about at the moment. If you look at, at what they base this sort of right-wing hatred towards LGBT on. So a lot of it is this legislation that they say is anti, anti-gay, anti like like gay adoption stuff. All this stuff that Obama passed, really. I mean, there's a laundry list of these things that, that President Trump has basically repealed. And so they, they the, the HRC, Human Rights Campaign, which is the world's largest gay lobbying organization. All these for other Democrats. Groups, for Democrats. Yeah, they only, it's only a Democrat apparatus. They pick these things and say, well, these are all Trump's anti-LGBT actions. Well, when you look at it, what they're doing is Obama had basically, the big LGBT apparatus now looks at gay rights as incompatible with the First Amendment, specifically with free speech and freedom of religion. So when the Obama administration forced Catholic adoption agencies, for example, to adopt gay children, and the Catholics said, this is against our faith, we have to close our doors, you know, that was overreach. That was gay supremacy. Gay people have no problem adopting... Wait a minute. Gay supremacy. Yeah, it's gay supremacy. It's gay Ex- explain that to me. So, so in your idea, in your mind, what does gay supremacy mean? In instances like this, if we, just when you say adoption, for an example, it is it's the idea that the gay rights matter more than the religious freedoms of Catholics. So the gay rights should supersede that because the left thinks that the gays have been oppressed for too long, so they need to. It's not about equality anymore. It's about supremacy and it's about vengeance. And you see this not only with LGBT but with BLM and all of these these identity radical identity groups. Absolutely. I made the point earlier in this episode, and I said that the thing that gays and lesbians and the LGBTQ cult don't understand is that so many things that they were fighting for, for for gays and lesbians to have equality, have, have been achieved, right? So we have, we can serve openly in the military, we can get married, we can work, we can live, we can, we can do all of these things. So, so in essence, what was being fought for has already been achieved. But we're at a point where to some people, this is not enough because I think that there is this overwhelming fundamental need to feel oppressed and that it is a, uh, a fundamental part of the identity of some of these people is to, to go about life feeling that they're oppressed because that gives them a space and a sense of place in the world. Yeah, that's a huge part of it. And it gives people a sense of identity more than being gay, but of, of, and, and, and I mean, we see this all the time. It's everything that's ever gone wrong in your life, every failure you can blame on this sort of mythical oppression that you have. But you also have these massive organizations like the Human Rights Campaign, like GLAAD, you have uh, that, are, that are bloated. They're worth hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. Uh, and what are they? You're absolutely right that, that the fight is over. You know, we got equality. So what do they do now? It's they have to keep continuing the oppression uh, narrative. They have to find new victim classes. And they're also just like, a, they're, they're a wing. They're now only a wing of the Democrat Party to get out votes for Democrats. Like, that's it. At, right. at, at best. At, at their most harmless, that's what they are. At their most harmful, they have bought into this radical Marxist ideology of fundamentally changing, dismantling American society and Western society. And how do they approach it? Well, they approach it with the attacking Christianity, number one, with attacking the traditional uh, notion of relationships and love. 
and attacking and confusing sexuality and confusing gender. And that's all part of this sort of dismantling the West idea that the far lefties in that group have. You know? Yes, and it's and it's very interesting that at this point right now, there is no mainstream quote unquote LGBT organization that has not been taken over by the far left. The only thing that I can think of is a mainstream LGBT organization that hasn't been taken over by the far left is the Law Cab Republicans, right? Uh, which which we're both tangentially involved in a little bit. And it's very interesting to me that Glad HRC, the the National Center for Lesbian Rights, and we're not, I'm not going to get into the whole trans thing right now because I have a, another guest in in part two of this episode who is very well versed in, in those issues, and I'm going to talk to her about that very specifically. But even the National Center for Lesbian Rights. They have to say stuff about illegal immigration and Trump is horrible and all of this other stuff. So at what point did they stop helping gays and lesbians? And at what point did it become about all of these other things that have nothing to do with really the lives of gays and lesbians in 2020? Well, I, you're absolutely right about that. I gave a talk at a college uh, maybe about a year ago and I asked to um, see their gay and lesbian center and walked in and it was all flyers about illegal immigration, about minimum wage about trans rights. I mean, trans is the most, the only thing that seemed to remotely relate to LGBT. Everything else was yes. just left-wing Democrat talking points. You know, before, I have a friend who, who, Wilson, who was arrested at Stonewall, all right? He was one of the people arrested on the first night of Stonewall. And he talks to me about the old days and when he saw things change. And he says that, you know, because he's like, back in the day, he's like, everyone was gay or Republican. If you ask someone how they voted, they look at you like you were crazy during the Stonewall era, you know? And he said, you know, it was, it, he said it was, he pinpointed it on Stonewall 25. There's a big celebration in Central Park. This would have been in the 90s. And 500,000 people or something showed up. And he said, all these Democrat lawmakers, that was the first time they really said, we have a voting block here, not only with the LGBTs, but the people who support them. So I think, according to him, and it makes a lot of sense, although it may have been steadily building, that's really the moment the Democrat Party decided that they needed to latch onto these people. Now, rather, it's not just now about getting because the gays are accepted universally. It's not just about getting gays on board to vote Democrat. It's about getting the gay machine to support all the Democrat policies. It's, yeah. it's just, they're one in the same now. And it would seem to me, and the thing about it is, is I have this conversation a lot with people because obviously you and I are both fairly prominent gay Republicans. Um, a, a lot of my, well, the reason why I'm so happy to have this conversation with you and to even have this platform to do this episode is because I spend very little time actually talking about the LGBT stuff. Like I spent a lot of time talking about, you know, fighting against socialism and ways to empower the black community via conservative values. But I don't really have that conversation about gay and lesbian a lot. And what's very interesting to me is that, and this is what I say when some people come up to me and they're like, oh, you know, I didn't even know you were gay and I don't really care. Gays and lesbians are natural conservatives, first of all. Look, you know, you got dual income, no kids. You have the fact that, you know, in in some capacity, gays and lesbians are more are more likely to make more because they're single, higher educated, all of those sort of good stereotypes that would lead us to be natural conservatives. And the only reason that there aren't enough and there aren't more prominent gay conservatives is because this apparatus has come in and basically told these kids that they have to agree with all of this far leftist ideology in order to be gay, quote unquote. So the question that I have for you is this this episode is all about the LGBTQ cult. Do you believe that the movement has become a cult? I know it's a strong word. Well, I did a story on cults once, and the definition, one of the defining 
de- definitions of something that makes something a cult. I spoke to the, one of the world's leading cult experts, and that is if you have an organization that is not is promising a certain is promising certain to, to do some, something, but they're actually not delivering it. So I said, "What's the difference between a cult and a religion?" And he had said, "Well, if you look at a church, they want to make the world a better place. Da, da. So if they are doing volunteer work, they are doing this, they are doing that. Then that's not really a cult. A cult is promising." X, Y, and Z for its followers, but really all they're doing is enriching someone at the top. That's kind of a mm-hmm. how you differentiate cult. So is LGBT culture? Well, I think, I don't know if, if it, 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 it certainly fits the bill. It's abusive. It certainly only works to enrich certain people at the top. You know, like the head of GLAD, you know, makes $800,000 a year or something. That might be, uh, maybe it's a, the LGBT business guild or something. One of them makes $800,000 a year. Uh, if they're that is an insane amount insane of money. Insane for like this nonprofit that's like a bay, gay business group. So is, is it misleading the the people? Absolutely. It's it's mis it's miseducating the the LGBT community. It's misleading them. It's it's I don't even know what they promise them equality this or that. But you know, it, it, it's like the Democrats. They promise all this stuff. They never deliver. They don't ever want to deliver because they never deliver. Yeah, if you're free and independent and and can survive on your own and you don't have this uh, mentality of being oppressed, then you don't need them. You don't need them. And the, the what makes me sad, actually, because, uh, you know, a lot of people think that, that you know, it makes people like us angry. We're not angry. Um, gay conservatives are some of the happiest people I've ever met, <laughs> honestly, because we're, because we're free. But what makes me sad is the younger gays and lesbians, the, the LGBT youth. And they're coming into this. Look, I, you know, I'm a millennial. Um, I don't, you know, look, I'm a millennial. And when I was coming up, there weren't all of these voices that was telling that were telling me what I had to think, who I had to be, what I had to dress like, what I had to look like, all of this stuff just because I was gay. So I was able to figure that stuff out for myself. And me being in the military at the time, that that was as big an influence as anything else. But now, my goodness, these kids are coming out. They're like 14, 15 years old, 16. God, they're, they've been watching Drag Race since they were eight years old and they're sashaying and they're doing all this stuff. And they think that to be gay is, is they're not gay anymore. They're queer. And it's just like, it's, cra- it's, it's crazy. And the thing about this is, is that this stuff does not lead to happiness for the vast majority of these people. The vast majority of these people who are sucking down the leftism are are very angry and they are very unhappy. They are very upset. And that is exactly what the people at the top in these organizations want want them to be. This is who they want them to be. So, and I have a, another question for you. I have said constantly, and I said earlier in this episode that I do not say LGBTQ. I tell Republicans who want to be allies Stop saying LGBTQ. Stop letting them control the conversation in the language in this way because the Q is trouble. I hate the Q. Pedophiles are going to try to sneak in under this Q. We've got child drag queens. We've got all of this other stuff. So I hate it. I think it's trouble. What do you think about the Q? Well, I think it's hilarious when Trump says it because he intentionally makes it awkward. <laughs> LGBT. Q. Uh, no, the Q is awful. I don't, I don't use it. In fact, I just say, I usually, I prefer just to say gay. I don't even like LGBT or uh, I, my, my preferred term is homosexual because that, that really upsets them uh, because it sounds so clinical. The, the whole and also you're is, recognizing the existence of biological sex, which they hate nowadays. It's evil. It's evil. Exactly. Burn the witch. Uh, yes. The whole alphabet coalition. You're, well, you're right about the pedophiles trying to sneak in. They already are trying to sneak in. And, and we're seeing this, um, uh, you, you see, you're seeing it pop up. You're seeing it pop up with pederasty and then pedophilia. 
And, you know, growing up, and especially our, our gay forefathers who were Stonewall even before then, they fought so hard to, to separate that, that stereotype that gay men are pedophiles in order to achieve acceptance society. And they succeeded. And they worked really hard to do that. I never in my lifetime thought I'd ever see that trying to nudge its way in. And look, here we are. And you see these movements start calling them um, uh, minor attracted persons or maps. Oh, yeah, the map the the movement. Oh, they're, yeah. And they're allowed on Twitter, by the way. But, you know, like someone who like makes fun of journalists and is right wing isn't. Yeah. So the whole but, but at the same in, at the, in the same respect, the alphabet, the, the more the alphabet expands, the less credibility these groups have. And, you know, who knows how long they're going to be fearsome or have any power. I mean, look at feminism. Feminism, how we knew feminism in 2016 is kind of dead. It got so radical oh, yeah. that no one talks about feminism anymore. You know, nobody yeah, takes them seriously. To me too. Yeah, yeah. And nobody really takes them seriously. So if the more bonkers LGBTQAI2S++ gets, Oh, then, for God's sakes. I call them the, yeah, the alphabet soup. The alphabet soup, exactly. And so the question is, and you know what? That I have one last question, but I, I have to say what makes me angry, the only thing that truly makes me angry about this community is the sane gays and lesbians that are liberals, that are just on the left, that are so afraid to speak up against any of this stuff because they don't want to be bad, quote unquote. They don't want to be excommunicated. So they stay silent. And that to me is so cowardly. Yeah. And so many of these people could make real actual change, but like like Joe Biden, they are owned by the far left. They are owned by these people. They they cannot stand up to them. I'd like to think that people like you and I and, and organizations like Log Cabin Republicans and of course Outspoken, which which you're uh, editor in chief of, I hope that we're starting to make the change because I feel like we are the only barrier between the LGBT and just complete leftist insanity that is going to kind of overtake them. So my final question to you, and and this is something that we can talk about with, with final thoughts. What does the future look like for gays and lesbians in America? In terms of their, I mean, I think people are waking up immensely. I think that you're right. I think that there's vastly more people who, well, I know for a fact that I, I would say close to half, if not more of gays are against the far left completely. They might not like Trump, they would never call themselves a Republican, but they're completely against it. They, and I just talk to people, strangers in bars, and I figure this out. And, and they are so shocked. Like, I've never met anyone who says the things that I've been thinking, and I can't ever tell anyone. They're terrified. But a lot of, a lot of the, their voting behavior is community-based. They will vote how their friends are voting. They'll vote how their, their, their lovers are voting. They'll vote how, how everyone else around them is voting, because that's what you're supposed to do. And a lot of that's the same with the black community too. They've actually studied that because a lot of people will say black people are natural conservatives. If you look at the, if you look at the religion, if you look at a lot, a lot of the, the attitudes in the community. However, when they studied it, they found that even when, when black people, they, I don't think they've studied this with gays. So that's why I'm making this comparison. But even when mm-hmm. they studied it with black people, they found that even if a black person preferred the Republican candidate, they would still vote Democrat because that's how their family was voting and their neighbors were voting. And I wonder yeah, if something they're... like that's happening with the gays. I think so. There's a huge amount of social pressure. Look, I, I've spoken about this ad, uh, ad nauseum. I lost, I was in, you know, I fled New York. You're, you're toughing out the good fight. I, I fled New York because of COVID. <laughs> I'm down here and I'm down here in Florida and it's, it's really wonderful to not be despised for my politics and, or and to you can, live somewhere. And you can eat indoors, I hear, and you don't have to wear masks anymore. What a novel yeah, we, idea. I mean, it, it's like the real world, but you know, <laughs> when, 
So in, in 2018 was when I kind of started popping a little bit on social media, but it wasn't until 2019 when I saw the actual impact on my life in New York City. I lost all of my gay friends, um, not invited to the parties anymore, not invited to the Fire Island shares anymore. Like all of that, that massive amount of social pressure. I didn't obviously didn't go to Fire Island this year because of COVID and, and I was living a real life in Florida as opposed to whatever the hell everybody was doing in New York. But you you get that you you walk around and you're whispered about and it's all this other stuff. But then at the same time, people come up and whisper to you like, oh, yeah, you know, I follow you on Instagram. Yep. Like, yeah, you know, I like yourself. Yep. I read your book, you know, yep. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So we we have to get these people out of the closet. We have to to liberate them. I'm so glad that that you're a part of it. I'm so glad that I'm a part of it. Um, and let me tell you something. I honestly do think that people like and I'm going to I'm going to give a lot of people some love right now. It's, it's people like you and like me and like Dave Rubin and, and, and Brokeback Patriot and God, the gay who's straight. And there's so many other very cool free thinking gays and lesbians that are going to lead the LGBT from the precipice of leftism to the promised land. <laughs> so I, I, I think, I think you're a part of that. Uh, and, I, and I just want to thank you for being here and for being such a huge influence on that. Well, thank you very much. It was my pleasure. And tell the people where they can find you, Chadwick, because a lot of people are going to be hearing you for the first time. They're going to be like, who is this intelligent, gay, conservative (laughs) man? I am a columnist at The Spectator USA. You can find my columns there. You can go to my website for some clips, ChadwickMoore.com. You can find me on Twitter, Chadwick at underscore more. I'm uh, editor-in-chief of uh, Outspoken, which is a, a news and video multimedia operation getoutspoken.com yeah all all those work all right thanks for joining cool thank you thanks so much to my sponsors please support them so we can bring the show to you for free visit my show page at robsmithisproblematic.com and please tell your friends about the show and rate and review us on apple podcasts so other people can learn what the show is about be introduced to me all of these problematic thoughts and introduced to our community of problematics. Next week, the left has ruined culture. And I'll tell you how. Thanks to producer Stephen Calabria and researcher Aaron Kliegman and executive producers Debbie and Newt, part of the Gingrich 360 Network. Part of the Gingrich 360 Network.